All right. Welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I want to make this real quick because I want to dive into this conversation. It was phenomenal. It was with a friend of mine I met on Twitter. Okay. Twitter. His uh, handle is, his username is, and, and write this down or look in the details because he's a great follow. It's at James1180443. You will see a bunch of random letters and numbers almost as if somebody when they created their their name just smashed their hands on the keyboard to create their name uh, as as the name of this account you will see that that's the right account go ahead and click follow on that guy dude has got some extremely interesting and profound ways of looking at the world and life and uh you know i've been following him for years and and just recently it was just uh I just wanted to I just wanted to reach out and see if I could get him on the show and just have a conversation. Um so thank you for tapping in, thank you for clicking, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. It is uh me and James talking about Wu Wei, the art of living and everything in between. Американская фирма Transceptor Technology приступила к производству компьютеров «Персональный спутник». Two. Sweet. All right, we're live. Nice, nice. Exciting, exciting stuff. Yeah, man. I just I listened to your talk this morning with I can't remember the gentleman's name who who asked you about the the title of it was psychedelics. Yes, Chris. Chris, that was great, man. Thank you. Yeah, no, I had I had a lot of fun. You know, that was kind of a spontaneous talk as well. We were trying to hook up for a while, and you know, living spontaneously it makes thing it makes it hard to kind of schedule things. So it, it can take a while to kind of. Um, just hook up or whatever but when when i do usually it's a good time yeah you know what let's just dig right in then living spontaneously uh i feel like that's where i connect with you the most that's you know you, you that's how I, i'm interested in living my life like jazz i'm interested in seeing what occurs i'm i'm a big fan of that i think that's the way it the you know the best way to live or one of <laughs> That's approaching the best way to live, I should say. It's not the best because there never is a capital T truth, you know, for the best. Every, there's always room for incremental improvement. Um, but there is some sort of middle way, right? We have to make some plans in life just to set up a life that can be spontaneous. So it, there's a bit of a paradox. If we live completely spontaneously, we might be homeless <laughs> after some time. So we have to, we have to have some goals. We have to have live spontaneously to some extent, but um, so I kind of, I do make some plans, but for the most part, I just live spontaneously. You know, I go to bed when I'm sleepy. I wake up when I'm, when I wake up and I, I do what I want. I work out when I feel like I have energy and I eat when I'm hungry. Um, just the basics, you know, and, and we, too often live our lives like according to the, the clock. We let the clock tell us w when we're hungry. You know, when we get off work for lunch or whatever, it's noon. We know it's noon. Uh, it's time to eat. I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat at noon because the clock says it's time to eat, right? And and when that happens, we don't enjoy our food as much because we're not really that hungry. Um, and the same applies for pretty much everything, you know. Yeah. So it makes me think about thinking. Like, I guess, I guess there's a difference between thinking myself forward and allowing, allowing oneself to be lived. Like I'm thinking, I look at the clock, I think, oh, it's time I should eat. So I will eat is different than listening to one's body, listening to, to what the moment is expressing or being. I agree. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think part of it is just, you know, through spiritual practice we we tend to be more aware just in general if we have a practice of meditating we'll be we'll develop a habit of being even hyper aware of what our body feels 
So if we get hungry and we're meditating or if we have a habit of just being aware, you, you know, you could feel yourself being drawn to the kitchen more, right? Rather than just <laughs> letting a clock tell us. And even, even if you're hyper aware and in, even if you're in some sort of routine, um, you could feel even the clock drawing you there, even if you're caught in thought. So it's it's a bit of a paradox, right? Because everything that happens is spontaneous, whether you planned it or not. Is it a spontaneous plan or it is a spontaneous spontaneity? <laughs> yeah, what's am I living or being lived? It's it's the everything that you just described to me uh, is I is interpreted as as a Taoist way of being. Um, yeah, I agree. That that the the paradox itself, it, you know, um, I wouldn't say it's the point, but but um, one of the one of the exercises. Not I wouldn't know. Ex I don't even know if I'm the one that's meditating or if life itself is a meditation. Or and we can, we can go into that in a, in a minute. But but I guess <laughs> I guess it's it's it. A lot of times I sit and I wait. And I see, and and it's like the body is doing the cleaning. The body is is going, moving to the kitchen. There's a distinct difference between consciousness itself and what the body does. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. So somebody asked a great Zen master, uh, "What is enlightenment?" And and this is one of the best explanations I've heard, and it's so simple. The Zen master says, "Enlightenment is normal everyday life, except you're walking three inches above the ground." And the reason the Zen master says that is because the Zen master feels as if he's not doing the walking, that there's no separate doer walking, that the walking happens by itself. And so life feels like some sort of semiconductor that happens of itself. And there's no separate doer. This Zen master could lift weights. He could, he could be, you know, bench pressing 300 pounds and he could feel like those pounds are as light as a feather because there's no Zen master doing the lifting of the weights. The weightlifting is a spontaneous doing of the universe. So what the Zen master would feel is the strain. The Zen master would feel the weight, but the Zen master would not feel like there's a separate doer lift doing the weightlifting. And so what it seems to be is there's a lack of identification. A lack yeah, of identification. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. The the sense of self uh, it inverts. It, it, it turns sort of inside out to where you're not doing the things that the, that the universe is doing you. And, you know, that's one of the things about meditation is if you spend a, a ton of time in meditation, you focus on the breath. It's the simplest thing ever. But if you focus on the breath enough, you'll realize that you're not breathing because when you're, when you aren't thinking about breathing, the breathing still happens. But when you are thinking about the breathing, you screw it up. You start feeling short of breath and then you start feeling like you're hyperventilating. Then you start feeling anxious and then you start trying to dial in your breathing and it's never right. But then a thought pops in your head and you forget you're thinking about breathing. And then all of a sudden <laughs> your breathing is perfect. Yeah. So when we're stuck in our thoughts, we screw everything up. So, so do you have, I'd like to just give, I'd like to share with my listeners. I was hoping maybe you could share a little bit of your story. What brought you into this way of being, um, uh, before I go a little deeper into into what I wanted to talk about. Absolutely. Yeah, I could tell you a little bit about my story. Well, you know, I started off as an atheist, um, mostly. I, as a young kid, I did have some spiritual insight, cra crazy enough. I remember praying in bed, and it feels almost identical to my meditations now. Um, and so my meditations bring me back to childhood so much of my prayer in bed when I was really young, like three years old, four years old. Um, so that's kind of interesting. That's an interesting observation. I don't know what to make about that yet. Maybe someday I'll have some insight about that. But I went to a Catholic school um, and I was a skeptic the whole time. You know, I was being, t I was being taught the mythology of the flood and everything. And I just thought it was incredible. So I kind of just had this idea of the mechanical um, mythology of the universe, how everything just floats around like dumb billiard bar balls and you know that the cosmos is not sentient and it's dumb and that humans are separate intelligent entities that are basically just 
struggling to survive. And then when humans die, they cease to exist forever. And then you're in this, you know, you just, you just, you're just irrelevant for eternity, which is a kind of like a depressing way of thinking. But yeah, I did yeah. have that mythology uh, in my head. And that's what I was convinced by. Um, I was focused. I was kind of an anxious person growing up um, because I was raised by my great grandparents. And I realized that everybody that I could depend on and trust to take care of me was going to be dead soon. And that was that really lit the fire under my ass for me to become financially independent. So I started obsessing about learning about finance and business and entrepreneurship. Um, you know, and I, I did everything I could to become financially independent as soon as I possibly could. Um, because just because I was anxious, I wanted, I wanted to be free. So once I kind of got that financial independence, um, I said, what now, you know, I have a super hot wife. She's like, she's like a 10 out of 10. She's, she's super cool. You know, I don't know what else I wanted. Like I had money, I had a wife, I, and I had a, I, I lived in a super nice neighborhood and I didn't know like what else I should go for in life. So I remember one New Year's Eve, I tell my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, I tell her, I say, you know what? I think I'm going to try to learn about spirituality. <laughs> and she's she's cool with it because she's Christian. And me, I was like always super critical of religious people. So she that was really a curveball for her. She She's thinking, man, you're <laughs> this is a surprise, but okay. And so I was smoking weed and weed was making me curious. Um, I was listening to podcasts um, and, you know, like Joe Rogan is talking about DMT and all these altered states of states of consciousness. So I um, read this book called um, The Psychedelic, The Psychedelics Explorer's Guide by uh, James Fadiman. He's a Stanford pr professor. I'm reading this book and I'm like, I have to experience this. This is this is I mean, this is just an experience I have. I have to have. Like I need to do this. So I get a hold of some mushrooms. I decide to do mushrooms because they seem to be the most um the, like you know natural and safe and even though I will admit for the record that mushrooms are not safe. You know, they they might not kill you, but they could terrify you and they could cause psychological harm. So this is not an endorsement for anybody and everybody to do, you know, eat mushrooms. But I did get a hold of some. I started off low. I I ate 1 gram and it was like the best freaking experience ever. It was like back to childhood. I was just stoked about everything. I wanted to go and play in the mud. Like <laughs> I was just, I, I, I just loved it. It was, I couldn't believe it just reminded me of how I used to feel when I was five years old. And I was like, oh my God, I could live like this on an everyday basis. I need to train myself on how to have this feeling all the time. And that was so a big motivator. That, that thought I, I want, I, so my background's a little different than yours. That's why this is so fascinating to me. Your 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 thought was wasn't I need to do mushrooms all the time. <laughs> it was I need to train myself to access this. It might have been you know um I I did have a thought when I ate 1 gram I said I should have done a bigger dose because I'm loving this so much. I should have ate more. And if I ate more, I would have loved it more, which is an incorrect assumption. But that's one of the thoughts that I had is that I should have ate more. Hmm. Another thought um, that I had is how soon can I eat these again? Hmm. So I, I think I think my thought of how to train myself on how to access that feeling might have been emergent. At, this was years ago, but I think yeah. that might have been an emergent kind of reasoning after I sobered up. Um, realizing you can't eat mushrooms every day. I know some people will microdose for extended periods of time, but you know, um, at the time I just felt I, I I remember feeling like I could train myself to have that feeling, and I think you can train yourself toward that toward having that feeling. Yes, maybe not exactly the same, but you could act. You could you could kind of bend the needle in that direction. Pretty, definitely. Pretty damn close. I mean, it's, it's the Alan Watts has a great saying where, where the psychedelic is meant as like a microscope. You don't keep your eye glued on the microscope. You take what you've learned and, and, and begin a practice or, or a play with it. That's a wonderful quote. Yeah. I, I think about that 
And I thought, and I thought about that, that often. And I think that quote might be his most impactful statement that he's ever made because a lot of people who use psychedelics stumble upon his work and a lot, of, and it's easy to get caught up in, in doing too much. Right. And I think that statement might've kind of saved people from doing too much because you don't want to perma trip because they could drive you to insanity. And I've, I've been yeah. there. I've been close there where I tripped six times in a year. I was smoking weed every day and you could kind of, you could, those drugs could open you up too much to where you're just what too open to possibility where you're questioning everything and you could just lose yourself in just insanity. And it's, it takes time for the brain to recover. It becomes a nebulous experience. It's when I, when I had my waking up moment, it was, I mean, mine, mine didn't happen through substances, but I've got a long history of using substances, but it was like, I remember actually praying for it to go away because I just couldn't, I couldn't conceive of how a human being was communicating with me, like sitting across the table. It was too much all the time. And if you, yeah, if you really wonder, because if you question everything, I mean, it's like an encrypted, it's encrypted vibration that we're decrypting. So yeah, if we think about it kind of from a reductionist standpoint from physics, like we just have vibrations and physics just traveling across a room. It's, it's so mind blowing. We can't make sense of it. And the psychedelics <laughs> make us think that, right? Yeah. But it's so basic too on our everyday life. Like we don't even think we learn to ignore that. So, so, so what happens is it seems that as human beings, we, we create these concepts and we live conceptually. We, we begin to orient ourselves to the environment based on symbols and, and ideas about what things are. I mean, it's all structured for us to exist and coexist with one another, but eventually the veil gets with the psychedelics, the veil can, veil can get wiped away for a minute and you can, you can see through it. Yeah. A hundred percent. And we could see, see on everyday life and we don't notice this. We are concepts concepting with other concepts and those concepts also concepts <laughs> make concepts. You know, Alan Watts says that we're gestures, gest gesturing. And that's basically true because, you know, the ego doesn't exist from a reductionist standpoint, right? Because we're all, we, somebody could just say that we're all um, you know, the, the four forces in physics just interacting with each other and you could just boil everything down to that. And that's as simple as it gets. And that's that. Right. But you could also say that, um, it, the emergent properties of the universe are interacting with each other. Like David Deutsch, he gives an example. He says, you, you cannot explain war as well as you can with humans, like human interaction and human psychology. Um, because if you try to explain war with quantum physics, it just doesn't make sense. But if you, if you wait, if you explain war with like the psychology of leaders and, and, and deranged human individuals, it just makes so much more sense. So it's more instrumental. It's more useful to explain things in terms of emergent properties. So it's more practical, it's instrumental. And there's criticisms against instrumentalism, of course, valid criticisms of, of, of that way of thinking, but uh, you know, it's a Buddhist middle way, right? It's like, I know there's criticisms of instrumental thinking. Like I know there's criticisms of thinking in terms of egos, but, um, if I try to go on the extreme edge of the spectrum and try to get rid of the ego a hundred percent, that's not the middle way. That's not what the Buddha was teaching. And I think he had that insight. Like yeah, everything is the middle way. What's the thing that's trying to get rid of the thing that needs to go away? A hundred percent. And the story is so, the Buddha story is, is so good. He's, you know, he tells his followers, you know, desire. And I think this is a koan, by the way. I don't think, I don't think this is actually him literally like telling people this. I think this is just a koan, but he says, desire is the source of suffering. So his follower, you know, he, he tries to stop desiring but then the follower realizes that he's desiring to stop desiring which is still desire <laughs> right yeah and 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 then he says well why don't you try to desire a little bit to to desire than you're desiring and it turns into this like infinite regress thing right and it, it turns into a joke and it, it, when you when you realize when your understanding kind of transcends this whole desire thing you could realize like oh yeah well the desire is going to happen so i might as well roll with it and when you do that, the desire 
to the desire to desire just melts away. So like hunger is embraced rather than resisted. And that's when you're kind of happy, you know, like there's, I have so-called desires in life. Um, and, and these desires, I'm grateful for them. I just roll with it. It is what it is. I mean, it's part of, it's yin and yang, right? You, You need the desire to have pleasure. I mean, how am I going to enjoy anything if I don't desire it? So that's kind of how I, that's kind of how I see things. Um, you know, the, 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 the suffering comes with, I mean, even breath, if you hold your breath for two minutes and by the end of the two minutes, you're totally like, you're, you're just, you really want to breathe. That first breath you take is going to be really, really pleasurable. You're going to love it. So we we forget how enjoyable our normal what we do normally is like all of our like just breathing just our vision if we were to lose our vision for a month somehow and then be able to open our eyes i'm sure our sense of sight would just be amazing so what it what it seems to boil down for me is about trust like in the sense that um in the sense of what you're saying that like to be able to witness a desire and then a desire for that desire to, to be able to see everything and know everything for, or, or accept everything as it is. Um, that's why I'm curious about asking about, because from what I understand is correct me if I'm wrong. You did two years. You, like this is the best I've gathered from listening to your YouTube channel, but basically two years smoking weed every day and listening to um, uh, Terrence McKenna. Pretty much. And, and Alan Watts, and I read a, a, a lot of books, um, but it was a lot of meditation. It was at least five hours a day for two years. And when you say meditation, do you mean sitting, thinking, listening? Um, I would sit in a lazy boy recliner with a, um, with a uh, volcano vaporizer, <laughs> smoking as much weed as I possibly could. Uh, and listening to music like psychedelic playlists or even listening to um, I noticed that I could listen to maybe some some spiritual teaching maybe like Rupert Spira or Alan Watts for maybe the first 30 minutes but when I would start getting too high like I couldn't pay attention to the words anymore so I would just listen to music and let the visions in my head kind of guide me and just pay attention to what is happening internally and it was it was a wonderful experience. I, I did have some scary moments too, but um, it was one of the best times of my life. I mean, it was it was great. But that's that's basically what I did. Yeah. And then I realized I started kind of going crazy, so I stopped smoking weed. I stopped the psychedelics, and then I let my brain recover and kind of integrate like everything that I've I've learned. That's yeah. That's why I wanted to point that part of your story out because it's it it points to what we were just discussing about desire. It was at that time the desire was to fulfill itself through the lazy boy, uh, you know, in the in the audio tapes and the weed, and then yeah. eventually what happens is that as our organism goes and interacts and experiments, it drops the things that no longer serve it. Yeah, absolutely, and that's how that's. That's basically how karma works as far as I could tell because every major change that I've made in life was a surprise. Like I used to race BMX competitively and I didn't like plan on quitting. Like I loved the sport and and I got to a high like a high rank in the sport and one weekend I just didn't feel like racing and it was like a last minute thing thing. I just told my mom like I was like I don't really want to I don't want to race this weekend. And then like the next weekend, I just like, I didn't feel like racing. And it's not like I planned on quitting. I didn't rationalize. I just didn't feel like going anymore. And every major change I've ever had in my life happened spontaneously like that. And I feel like all the changes that you try to make and and you plan on making like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to work out. I'm going to get buff, but I'm going to start next month. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's, see, that's the difference between. That, to me, that's what that's what I what I really want to dig into because that's the Zen way of living is to is to is to basically actualize oneself with who and what and how they are how I am to be actualized in my experience, uh, which means like th- there's a difference between saying I'm going to go to the gym tomorrow and I'm going to the gym. 
or and and the, that that would hope like I guess what I I'm super obsessed with to the point like, it used to be OCD like but it's since gone away but just the space between thought and action that the idea would be and, and you were you you mentioned this on your last um, uh, talk that that I mentioned earlier about the master of Wu Wei. To, that uh, you know, you can become skillful. Like uh, we don't think about the fact that we're skillful at walking, but at the when we first started, it was something we had to learn how to do. And uh, and I almost feel like life itself. Um, I'm interested in 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 the experience of actualizing one's potential as it occurs. Yeah, life can be lived with skill, like. Um, it, it, you could make life, you know, there's, there's Zen woods, woods crafter, you know, um, carpenters that they don't even think like there's a, there's a, there's a Taoist saying uh, about, uh, Chuanza. He's talking about making wheels for ox carts. And he says, I cannot teach you how to make these wheels They're, and they have to be perfect. They can't be too loose. They can't be too tight. They'll, you know, if they're too loose, they wobble. If they're too tight, the band won't fit around the circumference. And I can't write down how to make these wheels. It's just a feeling. It's an art. It happens spontaneously and out come these perfect wheels. And that's how you could live your life. You know, it's, it's hard to teach. It, ha it happens through a process of constant experimentation and iteration and errors. You know, you make a ton of errors. As, as I was trying to get my one gram mushroom feeling on a daily basis, I was just catching myself constantly. Oh yeah. I'm going back into the feeling of being, uh, of thinking about the future. And it, it and it, I just kind of like constantly caught myself making these errors. And then I would just have like an algorithmic way of thinking. Like if I, if I catch myself in these errors, then I automatically correct them immediately. And eventually the errors started happening at a less lesser rate in scope and magnitude. And now it's barely a thought. But I will say, I still have to make plans. There is a middle way. Because if I didn't make plans, I would, have, I would, I would be on a road to homelessness, right? But I do manage how much I have to think like, for example, I use my, my calendar and my computer a lot. Like, all my thoughts go onto my calendar. <laughs> um, yeah, like, if I, I need to do something tomorrow, I put it on my calendar. And then the night before, I read what I have to do the next day. I do the same. I, I literally couldn't do anything if I didn't do that. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and your calendar is your mind, it's just your subconscious mind. So I just put it in my subconscious mind, and it ha happens to have perfect memory. Um, and the, the Bhagavad Gita is a really good book about um, thinking about the future and, and being stuck in um, just forward thinking, like thinking about what's going to happen rather than being present. And what the Gita says is we want to be in a state of selfless desire. So like, for example, um, when we sing in the shower, there's no real goal to that. We're just enjoying it in the moment. There's no real like, I'm trying to um, improve my my situation by singing in the shower. It's just, you're just taking joy in what is. And that's kind of what I go for. That's kind of what I'm still kind of honing in. Um, and it's getting better every day. Maybe by the time I'm, maybe in 40 years, it'll be really, really, you know, a lot better than it is now. But I feel like, I'm getting better. You know, like anybody, when anybody practices a skill, you just get better with time and you could surprise yourself to the upside. Like there's been many skills that I've, I've kind of acquired where you're not very good, but you think you're good. And I think a lot happens with this spiritual process is you think you get good living in the present moment until a year later, you're like 10 times better. And you look back on a year ago and you're like, oh my gosh, I thought I was good a year ago, but wait, now I'm like totally present now. I couldn't believe how much better I got in the past year. 
And yes. it's it is it's 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 acquiring a skill. It's it's skillful living. It's an art of living. Yeah, it's uh I had I did this one uh experiment one day when covid hit it was like the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> uh, per personally. Because I'd been running around trying to fit. I just couldn't fit in. You know what I mean? I was un uncomfortable everywhere I went, anxious, fearful, all that. And then it was like all of a sudden there was just permission for me to stay in my backyard and stay on the computer. It was like I was permission to actually be myself and live, live what, do what I wanted to do. And um, yeah, it was just something, something interesting happened. Um, I decided one day that I wasn't, I was going to act as if anyone communicating with me was me talking to myself. That, you know, I had a roommate at the time and I was very annoyed by some of the things he would share with me. And I was uh, aware that the annoyance was coming from within me. Um, so any, anyway, say all that to say that it, that it, it, it created a, uh, it, it's, it's helped establish this relationship that I have with life itself, that life itself is, is the guru. You know, it that, is. Yeah. And so and, and so it's like a it's like a, a power play. Uh, now nowadays. Um, uh, it's, it's just watching. It's just watching everything unfold and, and occur better than I could come up with. Uh, and a lot of it's about learning. That's the thing I noticed, too, is like I, I began to see the stickiness of my thoughts, they're just not sticky anymore. They don't hang around too long, even emotions. N none of the emotions or thoughts hang out hang out for too long anymore. And, and it has just come with practice. And that's the best part I love about the podcast format and like listening to your, your talks and people that listen to my show is there's nothing ever to do. You know, like just, engage, in, just engaging with this type of material in my experience is what has allowed me to see things I wouldn't otherwise be capable of seeing. True. You know, the, the, the funny thing is, is um, what you mentioned about thoughts not hanging around, you know, the mind becomes a mirror, right? When you're in it kind of in the Zen way of thinking, which is ironic because I've had, I had a lot of good, good insights uh, while you're saying those things and they all dropped away. <laughs> oh, really? Isn't that funny? <laughs> because the mind is like a mirror um, you know, it 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 it, it, it just falls away immediately. But you know, the Buddha gives. Um, there's a story about the Buddha, and he says, if somebody gives you a gift, and you refuse the gift, then who owns the gift? And the follower says, well, the person who tried to give the gift to me would still be the owner because the the recipient refused the gift. And then the Buddha says, now do that with anger. Leave it with whoever makes you angry and just refuse the gift and you could and, and so you could reflect right you could kind of reflect the the negativity and and i've I, i've like stopped watching movies like for example there's a lot of bad vibe movies like oh, i'll give you an example um my wife amanda she's like you want to watch Dahmer, the show Dahmer about the serial killer and i'm like nah i'd rather not it's just bad vibes you know i like oh, yeah. i like watching happy stuff like Same. I like being in a good mood. So we watch like Anthony Bourdain, like cooking show where he's traveling around and having fun. So it's, it's it, it, a lot of it has to do with just consuming positive material. Oh, like, I, <laughs> I have a, I have a question that just came to mind. Sure. Why did, uh, well, I'm just curious. I was following. That's how th I think that's how I met you through Twitter was I was following Kapil. And then one day I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with it anymore. So I stopped following him, but I still, always followed you ever since why why did kapil uh block you do you know why um i if i had to guess um see i've i've criticized kapil in private <laughs> and good, and, I, and and i i i think i think it bugged him yeah man. <laughs> yeah i yeah. i think it bugged him because we have a mutual friend um, so I, I think I, I, because I see what he's up to. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's not tricking me. No, he's playing a role, you know, yeah. but I don't, I don't fault him. Right. No, no, no. The you universe can't. has done that to him. The universe has put him. 
he's found this little niche where he's like, he's doing really well and the universe is doing these things to him and he's rolling with it. And I don't hold it against him a hundred percent. You know, that is, that's, t- I'm, I'm on board with it actually. I, I commend him, but, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think he, if I had to guess, he might take his veil a little bit too seriously. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, man. To me, that's the, the that's like one of the worst. I I can't say it's a fear, but something I'm I'm just like aware of and see it in others. Like, I study a lot of mystics, like Sad Guru and and you know Krishnamurti, UG and Jiddu, and then I got Osho right over here on the table and. You know, it would at a certain point, if you're not willing to continue criticizing or or being challenged at a certain point, you'll just become a caricature of yourself and you become like a cardboard man rather than an an actual uh, expression of individuality or consciousness. And, And that would be that would worry me if I felt like I had to uphold an image ever. Even like even if it's a good racket. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, another thing is if we hold these mystics in too high of a regard, as is often done by many people, let's say, let's say I read, you know, all the mystics, right? And I understand everything they say, and I don't criticize it. And then, you know, I, I converse with friends, and I'm regurgitating these ideas that I've read from the mystics. I'm, I've basically become a chat bot. <laughs> yeah. I like yeah. literally like GP three, four in the human form. Mm-hmm. And it, so you have to criticize um, and, and be able to explain what these people are saying in words that are not their own or else you, you are a chatbot. You become like, I mean, we, we see this happening in, in, in real life all the time where people are just repeating talking points that are on mainstream media. Like I'll give you an example. Andrew Tate is called, he, he's, People don't like Andrew Tate because they say he's 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 um he he's uh he's a uh Matt what's the word against females what's the word a- anti- uh, misogynistic misogynistic yeah, mis- yeah, that's it and then you know these people who are interviewed and they and they're put on the spot you know at college campuses or whatever and they say okay so what about him is misogynistic and then they can't give an example so what these people are doing is they're not thinking for themselves they're just re- they're just repeating talking points that they hear other people say. They're mm. they're basically chatbots. Like that's how I see them as in real life NPCs. So I don't want to be the same thing. I don't want to do the same thing. I have to think for myself and criticize um all the gurus. Um but you know, my favorite guru of all is probably Alan Watts. Same. I mean, he's he's pretty much got it figured out. He's a wonderful speaker. Um, he's made fair, very few errors. I have caught some errors of his, but he, uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head because they're just so, they're, they're so minuscule. It doesn't his, really matter. He, I've caught some of his errors only when he's talking about social issues or social dynamics. Not when he's, yeah. not when he's speaking on, um, like what he really knows. Well, who's to say what anyone really knows? Um, and that's that's a feature, not a bug. We really don't know anything with 100% certainty. We just have, we're fallible. We have fallible explanations. Yeah. And uh, that's a feature of evolution. That's why, because we are what we know and what we know changes. So it's it's a spontaneous evolutionary process and it's you changing. Which is interesting is like, if you were to examine like, at least what 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 I tend to do is when I when I feel strongly about something, anything, whether it be I see an Andrew Tate video and I feel strongly about it, that's where my work begins. It's like, what is it? Why? What is coming up within me that feels? Because I literally every this is I know we shouldn't deal with shoulds, but everything's music. It's all just expression. It's all just flow. It's all just. There's something I think if I was to point out what the ego is, it's it arises when it's about my thoughts, my feelings, somehow being more pertinent than anyone or anything else. So I try, yeah. I, tr- I try to pay attention to that. Yeah, and that's just part. I think that's just an emergent property of meditating a lot and and practicing awareness. Is you just, you just become hyper aware 
you, we, I think most people get into this stage in their spiritual process where you just go on an extreme, like, um, you go through an extreme process of self criticism and self, um, improvement. And you question, why am I feeling this discomfort right now? Why don't I like this feeling? And again, there's a middle way approach to this because sometimes you just have to have faith and accept it. And sometimes things are worth peeking into, but there becomes, there becomes a limit to where it just becomes absurd at some point. And you just have to live life and you, and you have to accept the, the, you know, the, the, the good with the bad. Um, it's like a pendulum that swings, you know, too far. It's like calculating pi. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Go, you know, the circumference becomes too big and then it becomes too small and then it becomes too big and you just have to zone it in and it's an irrational number. You just approach this, this point. It's an asymptote of perfection. We just error correct forever. So which yeah, is, th this which, introspection could become absurd at some point though. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, and it can just, that, that's one of the most uh, liberating things I've experienced in th my recent experience has been the dropping and the letting go of, of the, of the analytical, like the way my, my brain used to be extremely analytical, just dropping it and seeing things for just what they are. Like, I don't need to understand why an Andrew Tate video upsets me, but I can sit in this chair and watch it. I can watch these uh, these things play out within my system without acting. Like that's, I had a friend come on the show named Peter. We did a bunch of shows together because I met him and he embodied a way of being that I didn't know how to integrate. And so I would go to his uh, apartment every week and we would go do yoga at his uh, yoga sanctuary place. And then I'd record conversations with him. And the it seems like, the task for every individual is to discern a philosophy for themselves because every one of us is so unique and we're all wired and we all have all these different situations and circumstances and experiences that have led us up into this current moment. And um, I didn't know how to do that. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was a lot of analytical trying to solve the problem of me all the time and it just didn't never worked out. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's, that's kind of a paradox too, because, um, you can start asking yourself, why do I even get out of bed in the morning? Why do I go to work? Why do I earn money? Why don't, why do I do this? Why do do, why do I do that? And you start wondering yourself, like if everything just dissolves into, um, the heat death of the universe, why do anything at all? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, nihilistic. Mr. Yeah. Lebowski. We're nihilists. Yeah. So everybody has to have some, whether you are aware of it or not, you have to, you have some philosophy, right? Yeah. So you could have a philosophy. You could even have kind of a philosophy of no philosophy where you just drop it and you just, you live your life like, um, uh, just like an NPC. You just go through the, <laughs> you just go through the motions, live your life. You don't question anything, but that still requires a philosophy of no philosophy. <laughs> um, well, you may so, be having a philosophy that you're unaware of or beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. An implicit. Exactly. It's not explicit. It's just an implicit of philosophy. Um, and once and once we criticize it explicitly with words, we we start uh, noticing the absurdity of it. And all philosophies have their own point of absurdity, even the best, even the, myst the mystical philosophies, even the Buddhist. And they, they could all become absurd if pushed to the limits. And again, that's that's the middle way. We have to take the middle way with things. Um. Yeah, it's all it's it, this whole experience, this whole spiritual um, road we take. It is a it's it's a huge mind fuck, for sure. Mm. Like there are some scary moments, there are very beautiful moments, but ultimately we have nothing to hang on to. There's no foundation for anything. It's just ideas interacting with ideas, gestures gesturing with gestures, <laughs> and um. You know, do taking any action at all, really t speaking about, you know, trust and faith, doing anything requires faith because even going outside requires faith, like everything. And it's kind of even going on this journey in the first place is grace that brings us here.
I mean, because it's a surprise. It, the, the universe kind of conspires. I, I don't know. Conspire might be a little bit too strong of a word, but I'm going to use the word conspire. It conspires to bring us to this moment. And you have to admit, it's pretty good. Like, it's no, pretty no. beautiful. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine a better way to live. You know, Alan Watts gives this talk about um, what would he want if he were God, right? And we have it. We have an infinite number of problems to solve. And, that, and if we're here forever, if we're stuck here for eternity as God, might as well have a bunch of problems to work on, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, rather than being stuck in, in a specific state of consciousness forever, could just enjoy the whole process. And then when we get reincarnated or whatever you call it, um, when we forget this life and start another life, we're lucky we forgot it because then it's fresh again. We get to, uh, you know, there's going to be another life where I get to watch Game of Thrones for the first time <laughs> again. Yeah. Right? Because I'm on my fifth walk, walk, watch through right now, and it's not the same as the first. No, it's not. The first was the best, but I'm still enjoying it. But the first was the best. I was lucky. I was lucky enough. I hadn't played EverQuest in like 10, 10 years or so. And I, when I got this new computer and everything, I went back to it. And it was just, if I spend enough time away from a, from a content, it can be like the first time again. True. So, yeah, it can because you basically forget most of it. So uh, we uh, we got to wrap up soon because I got to grab my boy off the bus. I wanted to ask you about uh, the games. What are you playing? You know, you mentioned EverQuest. EverQuest was one of my first loves. <laughs> Man, well, isn't it so great? It, it was a, it was a such a, it was so novel. It was so ahead of its time. It was so difficult. Mm -hmm. it, it was it, that was a great game. We'll have to talk about that later. Um, and I'm playing Valorant now, um, which is an amazing game. I can't believe how games good have gotten. Um, I played some Warzone, but that that game kind of irritated me. Um, yeah, so I'm mostly just playing Valorant now. But yeah, we'll have to we'll have to have to have some off air conversation about EverQuest. I might have to hop on or something. Yeah, and actually, I've been trying to find a new game, v Valorant. It's first person shooter. Yeah. Okay, I may check that out and. Um... Uh, I definitely, maybe we could come back. I'd like to talk about God too. Hell yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. down. I love talking about God and, uh, man, I really appreciate your time, um, uh, and your, uh, presence on, on Twitter and, oh, I have one more question. I almost forgot the most important question. Sure. Okay. <laughs> this is important for my listeners too. Cause they're going to be wondering as well, your Twitter handle, dude, how, how did you come <laughs> up with that? <laughs> Is Dude, there a pronunciation you, for it? I'm telling you, man. All I did was just smash the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. all I did was smash the keyboard. Um, I've had I, I used to write on Quora. You know, I got banned from Quora for using a fake name. I had a Twitter before this most recent Twitter, and I I refused to do the phone number verification, so that Twitter I, that you know went off to the wayside, but. Recently, I started paying for the blue check and stuff, so I can be doxxed, I guess. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not dox-proof anymore, but it, it's a trade-off, right? It's the middle way. Uh -huh. um, I just, I just like sharing what I have privately without my real name associated because I have friends and family that I really don't care to share my my most um, intimate thoughts with. I want like, to ask share, you, yeah, how how come? Um, because we're all playing a role. We're all, we're all fakes. You know, I act differently with my in-laws than I do with my real father. And I act differently with business uh, associates than I do with my wife. And I'm playing a, a different role with every person. And, um, you know, I don't really care for anybody that I conduct business with to, for them to know they might read my Twitter and think I'm batshit crazy. That's right. You're yeah, and, that's right. and I can't, I can't have that. I play yep. I play a different role with them and I have to if uphold this image for certain um for certain purposes. So and and you know I feel more liberated keeping my identity private online because I could I could share opinions that are unpopular. Um I've know I've I've shared some things that are like like I, like one of the things that I've said that it sounds bad but it's how I feel is sometimes I like seeing 
suffering because I know it implies error correction. And sometimes I think error correction is a better thing than it, it, it's worth it in the, in the end. My and, experience has shown it to be worth it. I mean, there's been a lot of suffering. <laughs> yeah. Same yeah. here. Same here. Like I'll give an example. I think I might've commented about like Germany or Europe. They're, they're having super high gas prices and they're really suffering. Like they're going to be cold this winter. Mm. And I think I wrote something about, I'm really glad they're suffering because now they're learning. They need to really focus on energy independence, you know? And that seems like a cruel thing to say, especially from this, this guy who's, who supposedly knows God, right? I'm supposed to be this holy figure, but that's how I feel. And I like sharing it. I just want to share my opinion and that's that. So that's yeah. why I keep things kind of pseudonymous. So I've got one more question before, before I have to get off when you're, when you're sharing something through Twitter, cause I love all the stuff you're sharing. If I don't agree with it, the best part about it is it makes me think in a way I wouldn't have thought otherwise. So all of the stuff is interesting to me. It's phenomenal. I'm, I'm curious if, are you just ripping them once they come to mind? Sometimes they come to mind. I try to limit because I don't want to spam the people who like, I, I want to be respectful of people's attention. Some days I'll just meditate and I'll have like 10 tweets, um, but I won't tweet them all. I'll save them in my drafts. And I try to, I try to, I try to spread them out a little bit just to be respectful. Cause I know there's a lot of people who have me on notifications so I don't want their notifications to get blown up and stuff. So, so they're not all spontaneous, but a lot of them are. So you've learned how to how to trust your instincts of when to, when to share. You're you're playing that game too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I write them down because you know Naval says uh, when you have inspiration, you better write it down or it's it's going to be gone. You know how we, you and I have talked about the mind is a mirror; it reflects things instantly. So when I have the ideas, and the funny thing is a lot of the ideas I have are in the shower. So I keep my phone like on the, on this like uh, up above the water in the shower and I'll grab it and I'll write it down while I'm taking a shower. Um, but like I said, if I have like two or three shots in the same sh- like ideas in the same shower session, I won't, I won't tweet them all back to back. I'll, I'll try to save some and spread them out just a little bit. Right on. Man, well, thank you so much for your time, dude. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to working on this and sharing it. Yeah. Uh, and, and I want to say something. Um, I've enjoyed our conversation. I think that it's been a fun process. And I, I think it's been um, a, a spontaneous happening too. My language has been nice. It just comes out of my mouth. I don't even think about it. Like my tongue is moving in all these intricate ways. So I'm enjoying that. Um, I live <laughs> yeah. a little bit of a reclusive life. So it's fun to talk to somebody who isn't my wife because my wife hears 99% of my words. So it's nice to actually talk to another human. So thank you for that. And thank you for um, bringing these ideas up that are interesting and they help me um, further my own understanding as well. Because my understanding also isn't perfect. It's approaching, you know, I'm just trying to get closer to the truth just like everybody else. So I thank you very much. It's been a nice shared experience and I look forward to doing it again. Absolutely. I'll stay in touch. Take care now. Later.
Still a whisper on my lips A feeling at my fingertips Is pulling at my skin Could live my life without you.